April 29th, 2022. We're in Masechet Sanhedrin and Afsamechhe Amud Aleph. Four lines from the bottom. Let's just rewind to the last word on the line over there. The Gemara, context not fully important other than exactly what we're going to see in the lines. Virbi Hanan says the Gemara. This is really what's necessary for our information. Rabbi Yohanan had set forth his opinion uh, with regards to the opinion of Hachamim. Hachamim are the individual, are, are the collective, the opinion who uh, maintains that you need a ma'aseh when it comes to korban hatat. It's necessary that there be an action. But Rabbi Yohanan seemed to be slicing it very finely with regards to what's considered an action and alternatively what's not considered an action. And there's a big difference, a major financial difference, whether you need to bring a sacrifice, an animal to sacrifice or not. On the one hand, Rabbi Yohanan told us that bowing to Avodah Zarah would be considered an action. All right, Resh Lakish disagreed with him. Bowing, said Resh Lakish, is not something that's affecting uh, externally uh, something, but rather it's just your body going down. It's not sufficient to be considered a ma'asir. Biochana maintained it is a ma'asir. That's an action in the halachic uh, realm, if I have the perspective of halacha in mind. On the other hand, Rabbi Yohanan told us that akimat sifatayim, that by moving your lips, by cursing, blaspheming, and we know this according to the hachamim explicitly, they told us this at the beginning of Masechet Kiritot, it's not considered a ma'asir. If you curse God, it's not considered a ma'asir to the extent that Certainly, it's terrible. That's no question. Certainly, there were witnesses and a warning. However, it's not considered a ma'aseh with regards to bringing a korban hatat. What's the difference? One's moving your lips, no external, so to speak, uh, effect, and the other one's bowing your body. If anything, uh, you might argue that moving the lips is a little bit more active. There's, uh, your lips have to go up and down several, many times in order to say the words, as opposed to bowing is one fell swoop down, that's the question of the Gemara. Answers the Gemara, it has nothing to do with the movement of lips or movement of body, it has to do with what, in the broader sense, you're doing in that context. When it comes to being migadef, to cursing, says the Gemara, it has everything to do with your heart. It's not so much what comes out of your mouth that is a necessary component, but it's really about the heart. I said lehavdil in stark contrast, but the same idea, it's prayer. Prayer needs to be with your lips, but it's all about the heart, it's all about Avodah Shebalev. That's the context, that's the reality over here by Megadef. As a result, we say Megadef, not considered Ma'aseh. That's in stark contrast, says the Gemara, to Avodah Zarah. Avodah Zarah, the bowing, and we dealt with the difficulty with regards to this claim of the Gemara in Tosafot at the bottom of the page, but bowing is what it's all about, less about what's in your heart. That's what the Gemara says over here. Shane Megadef, Megadef is different. The reason we consider for the Hachamim, even Rabbi Yohanan, that Megadev, the blasphemer, the person who curses God, is not considered ma'asin, not because it's just moving lips, but rather, because primarily and fundamentally, it's what's in the person's heart. Heart, mind, soul, emotions, that's certainly not action. Action is body, is physical, and that's the Gemara's distinction. The Gemara challenges that, and we have just a few lines challenging it, and with interesting perspective, says the Gemara, Mativ Rbizera, Rbizera challenges that distinction. You're telling me, 
that the only distinction over here, the only difference between speech and bowing is that the speech, technically speaking, should be considered a ma'aseh, an action. It's only because you're blaspheming, it's only because you're cursing, and that's considered in the heart, in the mind, and that's why it's considered in bo ma'aseh. What about the following example? Before I read it in the Gemara, there's a beraita there in Masichet Kiritot, which says there's another exception to the rule, another circumstance where you don't bring a korban hatat if you were to do it, quote unquote, you did it somehow. We could discuss another time exactly how. I'm not fully certain. A person becomes demented to the extent that they're an edzomim bishogig. They don't know the law appropriately. What's an edzomim? Very basically, we've of course on many occasions talked about edim zomim. Edim zomim are individuals who are false witnesses, but not just false witnesses. They are found to be false witnesses not based on data and evidence against them, but rather there's another set of witnesses who claim about one or both of them, imanu you were with us on the day that you're testifying about. And what's the halakha? The Torah tells us, they get exactly that which they conspire to do to the other individual, whoever they're testifying about. Well, the halakha in such a circumstance, here's what's important for our issues, is that by Aidim Zomimim, according to the hachamim, they don't bring a korban hatat. Wait a second. You told me Megadef, the blasphemer, should bring a korban hatat. The only reason he doesn't is because primarily and fundamentally it's in his heart. Heart doesn't have action. Edim zomimim? There's no heart aspect, there's no mind aspect. The whole issue is what they said. And if you're telling me that from the technical aspect, what's that? They get punished, but if they did it bishogeg, they don't bring a korban hatat. That's the explicit beraita we're going to read right here at the top of the page. I preempted your question, Charlie. First I said, I don't know, and then I said, somehow they don't realize that that's the halakha. Not that they don't realize it's wrong. Everybody knows lying is wrong. However, they don't realize that's the halakha. If you're to'eb the halakha, so it is considered shogeg with regards to korban hatat. That being the case, as the Gemara, Mativ Rebizera, Yaseu, Yaseu, Zomimin, this is the Beraita, we're citing that they are the exclusion to the rule. She'en bahin ma'asev ve'amai. Here's the question of Rebizera on that last answer of Rava. Halet nehu balev. There's not, no aspect which is dependent upon the heart or mind of the Eidim Zomimin. That's the Halakha, that's this Beraita. Yeah, it's exactly, that's what we're citing. It's Beraita, which is at, in the beginning of Masechet Keritot. Yasu Eidim Zomimim, she'en bahem ma'ase. Yasu means they're excluded, they're excluded. Again, according to the Hachamim, uh, with regards to Korban Hatat. Amar shane Eidim Zomimin, ho'il v'yeshno bekol. Says Rava, oh, you're right. I hear you, but there's a different reason why Aidim Zomimim are different. And what's that? Aidim Zomimim are primarily and fundamentally, it's not about what they said with their lips, it's about what noise they made with their mouth. What are you talking about? Explains Rashi, and it's a difficult sell, but here's how you have to understand it in the Gemara. The Aidim Zomimim is not so much about what they said, it's about what the, the judges, the Dayanim, hear. In other words, if these witnesses walk into court and they're mumbling under their breath something or another, so yes, their lips were moving, but we're not in turn saying, oh, false witnesses. It's only that we heard it. So fundamentally, this is the claim. It's about the sound that they made, the call that they have. And as a result, yes, we're very finely slicing this one, but our claim over here is that although in a technical sense, if you sinned with your lips, we could consider it a sin which has a ma'asit. That's if the sin was really just what you did with your lips. 
If it's what you did with your heart, we call that megadev. If it's the sound, which is the primary function, that's edim zomimin. It's in bo ma'aseh. Sound doesn't have a ma'aseh. Sound doesn't have ma'aseh. Reminds me of the, of, of the halakha, famous halakha of Harambam. When it comes to shofar hagazul, there's an entire perek in Masechet Sukkah, the third perek, beginning on daf kaftet, lulav hagazul. What's the halakha with regards to a stolen lulav? Uh, Norman and I have been learning it for some time, Joe. Uh, uh, so what's a lulav hagazul? A stolen lulav is clearly invalidated. And the entire perek over there goes through the different of the different of the Four pieces about arba'at aminim on Sukkot, which are all invalidated if they're stolen. Okay, it's what we call mitzvah ba'abavera generally, or maybe there's a specific pasuk of lachem. But anyway, that's the halacha. Says Harambam by shofar, shofar agazul kasher. He's quoting from Talmud Yerushalmi, but that's the halacha. Shofar agazul kasher. If you stole a shofar and you sounded it, it's kosher. That sounds terrible. Okay, it might be terrible, but it's kosher. Why so? Says Harambam. Okay, he's citing from others. He says the reason is because the call of the shofar is the ikar. It's the shimi'ah. It's the hearing. It's not the sounding of the shofar. It's just the sound which emanates and you hear. And a sound doesn't have something and a hearing doesn't have an action connected to it that you can steal and hold on to. When I pick up the shofar, there's an object there. Shofar is a mechanism to making a sound and hearing it. That's the suggestion. It reminds me as well, parenthetically, of the issue with regards to Birkat Kohanim. What about, uh, in theory, the following circumstance? I'm not a Kohen. If I was, if Jeffrey was, uh, in, his throat was hurting him, or if Stanley, his throat was hurting him, any other Kohanim? I feel like the whole room's always Kohanim. All right, today we're all right. Two of you, your throat's hurting you, Lo Alenu, one morning, and you turn to your friend and say, could you do Birkat Kohanim for me? We did it a few, I did it a few days ago with regards to Birkat HaGomel. We do it every, we're gonna do it tonight with Kiddush. One person says it for everyone else. Shomea Ka'one, the Gemara and Masechit, the Mishnah and the Gemara and Masechit, Tukandaf Lamed Chet, talks about this halachav. Shomea Ka'one, can you hear and generally speaking, we assume you can, with intention of the person who's saying and he who is listening, and fulfill your mitzvah, your mandate. Can you do that with Barkat Kohanim or not? Why not? Why should it be any different? So this was, in the past 100, 200 years, a debate amongst many. First, there was a book called Binyan Shelomo, who set forth, and several others, that perhaps you could. There's a book, Beit HaLevi, who argued that you can't. And there's a debate until the days of Hazonish, about 60, 70 years ago, and he weighs in on it. So there's a large debate fundamentally when all the dust settles. Here's what the debate is, is centered around. Shomea Ka'one, listening, is as if I said, will fulfill for me that I said the words. Said the words is sufficient. But there's a specific halakha when it comes to Birkat Kohanim that it needs to be, don't go to the bank with this, please, the Kohanim in the audience, that it needs to be Bikol. Amor lahem means it needs to be out loud. In other words, you need to be sounding what you're saying. If you're mumbling the words under your breath, you're not fulfilling it. It needs to be sounded. At the, or maybe under your breath is okay, but you can't whisper it. In other words, even if I have shomea on in the circumstance of berkat kwanim, you still didn't fulfill it because there's an additional aspect, and that additional aspect is that you did it bekol ram. Why does that remind me of our Gemara? Because that's the statement in our Gemara. The Gemara will be here by Edim Zomimim is saying, it's not so much, I know, with Kohanim it is, but by Edim Zomimim, it's not so much the words they said, 
it's that the words were heard. Berkat Kohanim is somewhat similar. It's not so much, although it is as well, the words you say, but your words need to be heard to the extent that lahalacha, many poskim are, are, are of the opinion that you can't do it. Shomea Kaone, yes? If you had a goy sounding the shofar, so we had this, we had an explicit Mishnah. It's, it's, it's an interesting question Jeffrey raises. You might remember, we had a long debate about it because the Mishnah says, what if a chere shoteh vekatan sound the shofar? And the Mishnah said that you're not Yoseh. So Jeffrey says, why not? If you follow it through logically, what I'm saying by shofar, what Harambam is saying by shofar, all you need to do is hear the shofar. This is a question Harambam was asked in his tissue bot. And the answer is something along the lines of, although the, primarily it's about the sound that's being heard, it needs to be produced, quote unquote, in a kosher fashion as well. So yes, there is some sort of dual mechanism that's taking place over there, but to the extent of, but to the extent it is kosher by Shofar. And again, because the sound, there's a difference between how it's being produced and what it is on its own. Yeah, I know. It gets... That's right. And again, the beracha according to Harambam, and the way we do it is lishmoa kol shofar, not litkoa. Right? That's, that, that's entered into the conversation as well. Okay, anyway. Did that actually know said those words in a private That's right. Megadeh, exactly. Exactly, exactly. So says Judah, just to articulate better, to highlight exactly this distinction in our Gemara, the Megadeh, the person who blasphemes, even if he's saying it to himself, so to speak, he's whispering it, he is blaspheming. That is, it's the words he's saying. It's not about the fact that others heard it per se. That's in contrast to Eidim Zolmin. It's all about hearing it. It's not about per se just the words. Says the Gemara, okay, I got it. All right, so your claim is that the reason Eidim Zolmin are different and you don't get punished with a korban hatat, it's not considered a ma'aseh, it's because it's bekol. Says the Gemara, bekol, Hanan lav ma'asehu. Are you claiming that according to the Biohanan, just sounding something is not considered an action? That was your claim. That's a way you wiggled out of the circumstance of Eidim Zomim saying it's different because it's primarily, fundamentally about the sound. But I have an explicit proof that according to the Biohanan, a sound, just a sound, just a grunt, just a um, uh, just sounding your voice without words is considered a ma'asa, really. How do you find that? Says Gemara, don't we have the following statement? What are the two circumstances we're referring to? Two violations from the Torah. One is muzzling your ox as you thresh with him or her. Uh, they're going through the field and they're threshing. They're dash. And you're bringing it through as it's threshing in the field and you put something on its mouth. You're not allowed to do so. Why not? It's something along the lines of that's an isur from the Torah. You're not allowed to do so. What if instead of putting a muzzle on it, you did it with your voice? Every time it puts, puts its head down to eat a little bit, to nibble a little on the, the crops and the growth in the field, you yell. You just make a noise. Ah! Haya? That's, that's a violation. It's considered a ma'aseh. What about hinhiga bekol? Hinhiga is a circumstance, the Isur in the Torah. The Torah says you can't, you can't plow with a shor v'hamor yahdav. You're not allowed to take two different types of animals. It's a type of kilayim, type of crossbreeding, if you're plowing with the two of them. What if the way you plow with the two of them is with your voice? 
Uh, you know, I've been on a horse ride, a horse and buggy ride, and, uh, and under, uh, under a month ago, they do all sorts of strange noises to the animals. The animals on with dolphins a few weeks ago, with strange noises, no words, just strange noises. So you're using the noises, that considered a ma'aseh. The halakha says, Rabbi Yochanan says, it's considered a ma'aseh. Of course, Resh Lakish disagrees. Fundamentally, what's their mahlok? It's the same thing. Akimat sefatai, makimat piv, just by moving your mouth, it's considered a ma'aseh. But wait a second, Rabbi Yochanan is telling us, you're not talking to the animals, you're not saying words, you're just making a noise. And you told me the reason Aidim Zomin is different is because primarily it's about the noise, about being heard. That should be considered a maaseh. We can't accept your answer, Rava. Says Rava, Ela Amar Rava, Shane Edim Zomin Ho'il, V'yeshnan Bere'iyah. Edim Zomin is rather different because fundamentally and primarily it's not about what's being said. It's about the testimony. The testimony is about what was seen. After all, these witnesses are in court saying, we saw him or her do X on that day. It's about, but the suggestion of Rava, you are right, Rabbi, and by the way, if Jared was up to date here, he'd be yelling, because anytime the Gemara's, that's right, you, 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 you handed it off. This was just a, a lob to, to Rabbi. But, but the Gemara, you're right, but the Gemara, Rava throughout, keep in mind, the same thing with Kol. If, if the Edim Zombim walk into court and they're just shrieking, it's not doing anything either, right? As long as you could have asked the question over there. But the point yeah, is, the but the point, the, the point is, in this context, is that the words are only effective because of what you saw. So the sight, so to speak, or the claim about the sight is, so to speak, the center of the sin. You're right. But that's the claim of Rava, in which case Rava has settled the issue for us. Rabbi Yohanan's opinion is, whereas Hishtahava'a is considered a ma'aseh, bowing is considered a ma'aseh, Megadef is not. Why is Megadef not? Because Ikaro Balev, it's heart and mind, uh, which is at the center of it. Whereas Hishtahava'a is considered a ma'aseh, Edim Zomin is not, not because Ikaro not even because it's Bikol, but rather because Yeshnan Bereya, it's about the sight, which of course is inactive and passive. And of course, it's, it's, a, it's a delusional one. It didn't actually happen, but it's a claim of a sight. Says the Gemara Tanur Rabbanan, let's deal with some of the further details with regards to this of the Yidde'oni, and over the course of the next. I don't know, 30 or so lines, the Gemara will get somewhat entertaining uh, with regards to this, these ways, old ways of sorcery. Ba'al-ov. Let's talk first about Ba'al-ov and then quickly about Yidde'oni. Zeham medaber ben ha-perakim umi ben asileyadav. Where does the uh, Ba'al-ov, that uh, uh, necromancer who uh, brings forth this a spirit of sorts, a dead being of sorts, uh, bring them into, so says, says the Beraita, brings them into or brings them onto Ben HaPerakim, to the joints of the body. Says Rashi, the knuckles or the knees of the body, the joints, that's where the spirit is, uh, is coming forth. All right, you can maybe on another occasion explain to me the significance. Umi ben asilei adav, or from under the armpits. Yide'oni, what's a yide'oni, the other type of uh, sorcerer in the Torah? Zehamaniyah, etzem yadu'a befiv. As a person who puts this bone, which is known as yadu'a, in his mouth. Vehumidaben me'elav, and then the bone speaks. Says the Gemara, I have a few questions. I have a question about your claim just a moment ago that Ov, the Ba'al Ov, brings forth the spirit 
on the joints or from under the armpits uh, have pesukim that seem to suggest otherwise. The pasuk in Yeshaya, which talks about Am Yisrael's, uh, the prediction of Am Yisrael uh, having a, a sorry and difficult state, says, Vehaya keov me'eret kolech. Pasuk says, your voice will be uh, diminished and blunted like the ov me'eret, like the ov, and the understanding is under the ground. You'll be so downtrodden, you'll be such losers in the future, you guys, if you don't fix your actions now, that your voices will be so diminished, your effect, your power, like the ov me'eret. It sounds like the ov, the spirit, is residing and speaking from the ground. It's muffled because it's in the ground. It's not coming forth from the joints on the knee or the knuckles or under the armpit. How do you explain that? My love, the mishta'eki orhe, doesn't it sound like it's speaking in it regular fashion, so to speak, from under the ground, the spirit, the body is under the ground, that's where they're speaking from. Lo, says the Gemara, that's not what it means. Rather, this Pasuk in Yeshaya, which is again, using Ov as an example, rather means to say this Salik, it comes up, and rather the, the circumstances, the spirit is coming from the ground, when it says Me'er, it's from the ground, and then it's onto the joints, or under the, the armpit, and it's speaking from there. So then what's the parallel? Yeshaya, screaming at the people and telling them, you guys are going to be such losers and your voices will be like the Ov, but the Ov is not under the ground any longer. So the understanding is, although it comes from under the ground and the spirit is then residing in these places, its voice is still very diminished. And as a result, that's the, uh, the prediction to Am Yisrael. Tashema, what about the following example and proof against that claim that the Ov is ben, kish, ben HaKisharim, it's on the joints or it's under the armpits. Uh, it's from the story of Shah. We talked about this story of Shaul once or twice. We referenced it. Shaul turns to a Ba'alat Ov, to a woman who's a sorcerer of sorts, and she brings forth Shemuel for advice to Shaul. She says to Shaul, this Ba'alat Ov, I've seen Elohim over here, not God, but rather important people like Dayanim, like Rav Reve, like Unculus writes in, in, his, in, in Parashat Bereshit. Elohim refers to important, dignified, strong people. Olim in she says, I've seen many important people who have risen from the ground. Wait a second, it sounds like they rise from the ground, and not that they're in the ground, like the Pasuk in Yeshaya said, but it's not that they're on the, 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 uh, the joints, not that they're under the armpit. She just speaks with them, heke, and it means that the spirit of the beings that the Ba'alatov, that the Ba'alov is speaking to are right there, talking in a love the Mishta'eki Orhe, does it not mean that the conversation is in a regular fashion? Lo, that's not what it means. She means I've seen them rise, but once they rise and I speak with them, or they speak to me, the Yatib ben they're sitting, they're, they're residing on the joints, and that's how they're speaking. You can't bring a sufficient proof from either one of these Pesukim that our description, our tradition with regards to what Baal Ov is, is different than our understanding. You can explain away each of these Pesukim. Tanur Rabbanan, another Beraita, Baal Ov, Ehad Ma'ale Bezichuro, Vehad Hanishal Begulgolet. So this Beraita says that a Baal Ov, the sorcerer of sorts, who speaks or has speaking to him or her, the, uh, the, the, the spirit, is whether it's Ma'ale Bezichuro. Zichuro sounds like Zachar. Rashi, in fact, explains it such. Says Rashi, it's uh, whether, and there are different ways of doing this, you bring it up from your Ever Zachar, from your private place. 
And that's, that's the description of Zichuro. Tosafot has a problem with that. Tosafot says, what do you mean? We just talked about a woman who's bringing forth the spirit. Uh, she's not bringing it from a male private part. So, of course, Tosafot Shan suggests, okay, Zichuro means if it's a male, it's from the, that private part. If it's a female, it's from her private part. Alternatively, Tosafot quotes from Targum Yonatan ben Uziel in his commentary um, that, uh, that this word Zachur might be used in the context of those spirits uh, that are speaking in some way or fashion. That's one interpretation of Tosafot. Tosafot has another interpretation. Anyway, that's, that's, the, that's what we're dealing with. According to Rashi, in the easiest fashion, what we're dealing with is uh, so whether the spirit is brought up from the private part. Vehad hamishal begulgolet. Gulgolet refers to the skull of the dead person. Whether they, whether they bring forth the spirit in one way or in another way. Says the Beraita, what's the difference? Okay, I don't know, it's just the way, no, says the Beraita, there's a fundamental difference with regards to, if you're that type of sorcerer, how you encounter and, uh, and dialogue with the spirit. If it's the former case, uh, the spirit does not come up in the regular fashion. In other words, it doesn't have head up and feet down, but rather feet up and head down. And it doesn't, you're not able to convene with the spirit on Shabbat. In contrast to Nishal Begulgolit, if you're speaking to that skull, uh, the skull is able to the spirit comes up in the regular fashion, the head up and the feet down. And it comes up on Shabbat in a Mahshava class, in a Wednesday night class. One day we will discuss the significance. Says the Gemara, Ole lehechad salik hakame manach. Says the Gemara, what are you talking about with regards to the skull that it comes up with its head up and feet down? You're speaking to the skull. The skull's under the ground. It's one thing if you told me you're bringing the spirit up through your private part, you bring the spirit up, as Tosafot says, in some other fashion. But you're talking to the skull. It's under the ground. Hakame manach. In front of him, it's, it's, it's resting. It's in the ground. Ela ema. Rather, we should say, instead of it being ole, rising in the regular fashion, one kiddarko ve one b'shabat. It answers in the regular fashion and answers even on Shabbat. Okay, ve'af, so now the Gemara continues by telling a story which is somewhat related in the answer of Rabbi Akiva. Uh, it's the following story. It starts with the word ve'af. Ve'af means and even. What do you mean and even? You didn't start with anything beforehand. Well, it's a question or it's a debate. It's a counter of Tornus Rofus Harasha to Rabbi Akiva, who was Tornus Rofus Harasha, very briefly. Harambam, quoting from Talmud Yerushalmi, as well over there, says that Tornus Rofus Harasha is the individual, the Roman emperor, who after the destruction of the Mikdash, doesn't just leave it destroyed, but goes and plows Har Habayit on Chabab completely decimates any remnants of uh, the structure that once stood there, the Beit HaMikdash. That's the Rasha Tornus Rofus, uh, who's now debating with Rabbi Akiva. It's interesting, on Pesach, I mentioned one of the Midrashim with regards to Tornus Rofus Arasha. The Midrash says that Tornus Rofus Arasha turns to Rabbi Akiva and he says, if your God wants you to have circumcisions, if he's interested in Birit Milah, why aren't you born with Birit Milah? That's one claim of the Tornus Rofus Arasha in the Midrash. The Gemara Masech Bavabatrandaf Yod, I think, that says that turns to and says to him, if your God wants there to not be poverty, if he wants you to give tzedakah, well, why make you give tzedakah? Why doesn't he just make everyone self-sustained? Why not banish and do away with poverty in this world? These are very Roman types of perspectives in which there should be human beings who are perfect. In a proper world, human beings have perfection as opposed to a uh, Am Yisrael Jewish type of approach in which we're constantly seeking to become as opposed to 
being. It's the way I've on more than one occasion pointed out. I remember reading this from Rabbi Dr. Norman Lamb, Alav HaShalom. He says that whereas in the Roman world it was the teachers who were venerated and you looked at the individuals who knew it all, so to speak. They were the ones who got the respect. In the Jewish world it was all about the students. It was all about Talmideh HaChamim. The students, the ones who are becoming, who are striving, who are yearning, who are growing. That's what we focus on. Anyway, that's the debates. Here's another one of them. That's why it's Ve'af. Ve'af means and even this, in addition to the other two well-known debates of Tarnasrofus Harasha, what's this one? He asked him, he claimed in a debate, in an attack, an assault of him, Amar lo says Tarnasrofus to Rabbi Akiva, again, this is the time of destruction of the second Beit HaMikdash, what's the difference between this seventh day and any other days? Or rather, umayom miyomim, maybe is the right way to read it. And was, what's the difference between this day and the other days? You think this seventh day has a specific and, uh, and purposeful uh, reality? Seventh day? Shabbat? What is that? They're all the same. Amar lo says Rabbi uh, Akiva in responding, keep in mind anytime you're responding to a person who's attacking you on logic, the easiest way is to use their own logic against them or use their own reality against them. If you respond with fundamentals of faith or something that you accept as reality, they don't, they say that's the problem. You bought into such a system, you can't defend the system if you don't have a way of proving it. We talked about this when we were referring to the Yeshu HaNosri Agada and the Gemara where the rabbis were so to speak debating and admitting to Pesukim in the skewed ways that the first Christians were reading them, if you recall. It was funny. Why are you even reading the Pasuk? It's such a, you got to play their game in order to beat them at their game. So anyway, so says Rabbi Akiva, I'll respond. Instead of just saying the Torah says so, instead of just saying this is what we do, Uma Gever Miguvrin says, what's the difference between you and the other people? I told you, and you know that we hold that the seventh day has a particular and special status. You, you're a general. You're greater than other, other Romans. Why are you greater than them? You can't understand the distinction in status? We say seventh day is more important. You say being a general is more important. How'd you become a general? Why are you a general? Amar le de mare save. Says Tornostrophos. He says, my master, the emperor, appointed me. He likes me. That's why I'm a general. Says Rabbi Akiva, Shabbat Nameh Demare Saveh. He says, Shabbat as well. My master chose it. Says the Tornus Rofos Arashai. He says, This is what I meant to say. Okay, I knew you're God. I knew you'd claim that. Who's going to tell me that right now it's Shabbat? All right, I'll accept your Bible. Let's say God said so. Who said today is the Shabbat on which the world was created and seventh day he stopped? Who said this is the same day? Maybe it's a different day of the week. Amar lo says Rabbi Akiva, Nahar Sambat Yon Yochiyah. He says, I have three proofs. The first one is from a river known as Sambat Yon. And I'd be very surprised if Rabbi can't give us a full class on this one. Ba'alov yochiach, I can prove it from the Ba'alov. And kivro shel aviv yochiach, she'en ma'aleh asha'an b'shabbat. So he's got three separate proofs. First one is this Nahar Sambatyon. This Nahar Sambatyon is mentioned in many mystical sources, but in many of our Midrashim as well. It's, uh, it's, it's reported, Rashi gives us the tradition on this. It's a river which is filled with jagged rocks and the sort, which was always rushing throughout the week and making a lot of noise, but it rested in almost a supernatural way every Shabbat. So Rabbi Akiva says, just go check that river. Don't you see how it 
rests on Shabbat, that's the proof that the seventh day, which we keep as the seventh day, is the real seventh day. That's my first proof. The second proof is Baal of I'll tell you how to prove it. Ba'alov. Remember what we read a few moments ago? That the Ba'alov, in certain circumstances, can't be convened on Shabbat. If you're bringing it from Zahur, it can't be convened on Shabbat. He said, go try to do it on Shabbat. And apparently, and Rashi says, Ben Midrash says, uh, he goes and he tries to do it on Shabbat, and it doesn't work. You see? That's the real Shabbat. And lastly, he says, the grave of your father should prove because the grave of your father has smoke rising from it at all times to represent the burning in Gehenom that your father has. And you'll notice on Shabbat, as the Midrash says, on Shabbat there's a residing of that burning in Gehenom. Pay attention how on Shabbat it stops and it resides. So he's got these three proofs. Maharsha points out that these three proofs really deal with three separate uh, states of time. The first one, Nahar Sambat Yon, so to speak, talks about the nature from all the way back. That's the proof, so to speak, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu created the world in such a fashion. Even the rivers, which are rushing forth, stop on Shabbat. That's implanted from the very beginning. The second one, the Ba'alov, is in the present. You're asking this person for a prediction of what's taking place. You want to do that right now. It can't work on Shabbat. That's that in the present, we consider this and understand the significance of the seventh day. The last one of the father and the and the smoke, that's a reference to even in Olam Haba, even in the afterlife, even then the seventh day, and this seventh day is the significant one, so he's got him on all points. Amar Lo says, Tornus Rofus, instead of responding to these uh, empirical quote-unquote proofs, Bizito, Biashto, Vekilalto, you brought forth a shame, an abomination, and a curse to me by speaking about my father like that, by bringing to light by pointing out that my father's grave has that smoke, that you're referring to this ish of Gehenom, which my father is suffering, you've really brought forth a disgusting reality to light. And so he's kind of ends the conversation like that. And we will, for today, suffice with that. Very briefly, what do we do in the Gemara? We finish that conversation with regards to the Biohanan and Hachamim about Ma'aseh with regards to the different Akimat Sefatayim. We distinguish between Megadef and Edim Zomim, whereas even Akimat Sefatayim can be considered Ma'aseh, those wouldn't be. Then we talked about how Ba'al Ov and Yide'oni were really affected once upon a time in some fashion. Then we talked about the different ways of Ba'alov and we challenged one or two of them and then lastly we dealt with this story of Rabbi Akiva and Tornosrofus who used Rabbi Akiva did the reality of Ov which apparently could have been checked at that time as a proof to his opinion and the Jewish opinion with regards to Shabbat Baruch Amen Amen